move serious. In fact, this entire month, for the whole month of February, we're going to be emphasizing missions. Now, this morning, I'm just going to kind of lay the groundwork to get you in position where you can really open your heart and enjoy missions. Next Sunday, Brother Ben Johnson's going to be here, and we're, we're going to update you on a lot of things that's going on around the world, and especially in the areas where you have been so good to give and, and uh, produce mission churches. We planted over 2,000 churches in the last 10 years on five different continents. So we're going to kind of update you on a lot of things that are going on. But uh, we're going to be talking about the theme for this month, by the way, is simply this. His last command, our first priority. His last command, our first priority. And it certainly fits in when we talk about missions to the, one of the core values of our church, what we're all about. We're about winning souls and making disciples. And Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And my text for this morning is actually from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Here's some of the last words that Jesus spoke before his ascension. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And uh, we're going to talk about incorporating missions into not only world missions, but home missions as well. He wants us, as Jesus said, you start at Jerusalem. For us, that's right here in Augusta. And then he said, spread it out. Don't forget about Judea, beyond your walls, beyond your city. And then on out to Samaria, and ultimately to the uttermost parts or to the ends of the earth. And uh, we've tried to do that. Like I said, we're on five continents. Now, we haven't hit Antarctica and Antarctica yet. We haven't, we haven't built any igloos there. Uh, and we haven't, in Antarctica, we haven't figured out how to get the polar bears saved. So um, we, we, we haven't put any money there for missions. But the five major continents, we've got, you have planted churches and and we're just praising the Lord for that, excited about the good things that the Lord is doing. And I want to tell you, as, as we move on into this year, 2020, we want to do more, not less. Amen? We want to do more. In fact, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, I, I think we should intensify our efforts and really try to do more and more and more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. And this is a good time. There's harvest going on. Let me tell you something you do not see on the news. They won't tell you about it. You're not going to hear about it. And that is that there is an, a revival going on in Iran of all places. God is doing a work now in Iran similar to what he's been doing in China for the last number of years. People are getting saved. They're turning to Jesus in multitudes. Amen. Give God praise for that. Wow, what a time. But let's take a moment to pray before we get into this message and pray not only for today, we're going to have guests this month. Let's, let's pray for the entire month of February, shall we pray? Father, thank you this morning. You're so good. Thank you for your presence that's been so real in this place today. We just honor and worship you. We pray now that you will come, Holy Spirit, 
and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and to respond. Let the word of God go forth, I pray, with anointing today that will reach to the very spirit man and that we will be drawn into your presence and may our faith be increased. May we be strengthened in our efforts to go forward for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. To begin this series, I, I want to just try to make life a little more simple. Would that, would that help any of you? Did any of you get the feeling sometimes that your life's getting all cluttered up and there's just so much? If you could just kind of just sit back and relax a little bit and if things could be a little bit more simple, it'd be, it'd be better. You know, the Jews of old, they took the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses up on Mount Sinai and out of those Ten Commandments, they came up with about 650 laws, rules, and regulations. And we think, boy, that's terrible, isn't it? That's the Jews. <laughs> but somebody has said that evangelical Christians have gone into the New Testament and taken the simple Beatitudes, and we've created about 12 to 1,500 rules and regulations that we feel like everybody ought to live by. And... Jesus, on one occasion, just simplified it so beautifully. I don't know about you, but I love simplicity. My, uh, my mother-in-law, bless her soul, she's in heaven today, and she demonstrated simplicity in a remarkable way. I remember so well when Faye said, you know, Mom, she can't take care of the house anymore Physically, she's got a downsize. We're going to have to move her into a, a small apartment that she can kind of kind of keep up with things. And she had been living in that house 54 years. Same house, 54 years. And when Faye said she's going to have to move, I said, oh, my goodness, my goodness. Because I remember what it was like when I had to dispose of my mother and dad's stuff. My mother died about a year and a half before my dad, and then my, when my dad passed away, we we had to we had to dispose of him. My mother and dad came up in the Great Depression, and so everything they had was dear, and so they had a lot of dear stuff, <laughs> lots of dear stuff. In fact, they, they their house. Behind the house, my dad had a great big building. I mean, it was as big as this church building. At, um, at one time, he had a sheet metal shop there, but after he retired, he just he parked his, uh, his bass boat in there and, 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 and other stuff that he just accumulated through the uh, accumulated and accumulated and, and accumulated. And, and, uh, I went up there, I don't know how many trips I made trying to get some sense of all of it and try to figure And finally, I just hired an auction company to come in and, and do whatever you have to do. We had a big old auction and we sold it because they had so much stuff. And when Faye told me, we're going to move your mother, she'd been living in the same house 54 years. That's all I could think about is how, how much trouble I had with my mom and dad's stuff. But, you know, when, when we moved Mimo Dean, it was a piece of cake. Because she lived a very simple kind of life. She, did, she didn't live with... Here, here, this is her, her philosophy. If I have not used it in three months, I don't need it. That was Mimo. 
Let me tell you about her filing system. This is her filing system. She had a filing cabinet. Uh, for example, on her bills, like her utility, if you go into a filing cabinet, go under utilities, she had power bill, gas, light, uh, gas bill, water bill, you know. When, if she was living today, when she would get her January power bill, she would open her filing drawer that had her utilities in it, and she would go to the back of it. She only kept stuff one year. She would go to the back and pull out January of 2019, and she would dispose of that. And then she would put the bill for 2020 and make a note where she'd paid it, what date she'd paid it, and the check number she paid it and put it in. That was her filing system. Her files never even got cluttered because she never put anything in without taking something out. Now, most of us don't live that way. And so moving is tough, but it wasn't for her. I mean, it, it was, I, and, and I, the older I get, the more I begin to love simplicity. It, it's, she just lived such a simple life, and it, and it made it so easy because she wasn't worried about stuff. She wasn't cluttered up with anything. She just lived. We are, Jesus came with his teaching and did the same kind of thing. I'll give you a perfect example in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 20, 35 to 40, listen to this. One of them, an expert in the law, in fact, uh, most translations say a lawyer, he came to Jesus. He tested him with this question. Teacher, he's talking to Jesus, the lawyer. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like, to, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Instead of making 650 out of 10, Jesus made two out of 10. And he said, if, if, you'll, if you'll just do these two, if you'll just take care of these two, you will discover that in the process of doing that, you will be fulfilling all of the rest of them. It, it, it'll take care of it. In fact, he, he, we have a summation here of the law in such a simple, direct way that you can judge all of your actions by how you obey those two commandments. You, you can put anything up against that, and, and it works. So let's talk about this for just a little bit. Really, what Jesus said here, he said, you start off, he said, first, when, when the lawyer said, what's the greatest of all commandments? He said, this, this is it right here. Love the Lord your God. With, just love him. All your heart, soul, mind, strength, just, just love God. In other words, if you love God like that, you'll put God first. Now, one of the commandments is do not have any other gods before me. That takes care of it, doesn't it? If you love the Lord with all your heart, you're not going to put any other God in front of him. Uh, one of the other commandments is said, don't make any graven images of any likeness. Don't bow down. In other words, don't, don't have any idols. Well, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're not going to make any idols. You see how simple that is when you just line it up? So if you put God first in your life, it will take care of so much. 
I'm going to give you three areas this morning where we need to learn to put God first. If we'll, if we'll take care of these three areas, it'll be amazed, you'll be amazed at how it affects your life in a positive way. The first one, put God first in your relationships. Remember, love God with all your heart. So if you do that, you will, you will take it, it'll take care of other relationships. If God is first, because then you'll invite him into your decision-making on others. I remember hearing Zig Ziglar say one time many years ago, Zig was, said he was on an airplane. He was sitting beside a guy and started a conversation. And he, uh, he said to the guy, he said, Sir, uh, I, I, I can't help but notice that you're wearing your wedding band on the wrong hand. And he said, Yeah, I married the wrong woman. <laughs> well, now, if you put God first in all of your relationships, you won't marry the wrong woman. And ladies, if you put God first in all your relationships, you won't marry the wrong man. That's our problem right there. We don't take time to put God first. We just take off. We follow our attractions and we follow our desires and and uh, somebody looks good and we're attracted to them and... Uh, <laughs> and here we go. Well, God made us that way. None of that's wrong and none of that's off base except that that should come second, not first. You ought to talk to God about them first. If you do that, God might steer you in a different direction. In fact, God may have somebody that looks better than that one. If you'll just wait on the Lord and the Lord surely will lead you in a way that you'll find a compatibility that you won't always find if you just, you know, the flesh can deceive you. But God will never deceive you. So put God first in your relationship. I read it a while ago. Let me read it again. Just one verse out of there. Verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Your mind is your, 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 your will and your emotions are all involved in that soulish part of you, the suke man. And uh, so put God first. And by the way, parents, let, let, me, let me give you a tip that will help you here. If you listen to this, don't ignore or overlook the relationships that your kids are involved in. That's an area you ought to pray about. I talked to you the other Sunday about applauding character. Well, here's an area you ought to be concerned about, the relationships that your children are in. Very, very important. And you need to make it an item of prayer. Don't just try to steer that in the flesh. Sometimes you can try to help your kids in this area and the harder you push one direction they'll go the other so you so you need the wisdom of God to help you with that and uh, I, I know when my kids were teenagers we had to pray them out of some relationships that weren't good we, we prayed Hosea's prayer we prayed a hedge of thorns around them and I want to tell you that works too Remember, Jesus said to the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, ain't it, old boy? Well, it sure is. When God puts a hedge around you, when those evil spirits and those people that are not good for them come up, they'll, they'll suddenly just start feeling uncomfortable. They don't know what's going on. It's in the spirit realm. But they're running into those pricks. So we pray that around them. Amen. 
And the Lord delivered them, set them free from some relationships that would have been disasters for their lives. If they hadn't have, and, and don't just leave it there, pray that God will put some good relationships in their life as well. God can do that. He cares about that. He cares about you. So he cares about your relationships. He cares about the relationships of your family. So put God first in the relationship area of your life. Pray about that for your children. We had, um, we had been praying. I remember real well when, when my youngest son was in late uh, middle school, about to get out of middle school and go into high school. Um, he'd gotten some friends that we just, we, we just knew they weren't good influences in his life. And we started praying against that. And God miraculously just broke all that up. And, and then I said to Faye, we, we, we got to pray somebody good in here now. And so she really took it to heart. She really went to praying that God would bring, bring him a, a good friend. And, you know, God developed a, a friendship for him in his life that they're still good buddies today. After, and he's nearly 50 years old. He's in his 40s now. And he, he, he's still buddies with that guy. And here's what's amazing. Not only is he still his best friend, but his daughter is my granddaughter's best friend. Now, the next generation down, wonderful influence. One of the, one of the reasons Maisie loves to come see us is not just to see us, but to see her best friend who was Brad's best friend when he was in high school, all the way through. God can develop good friendships for your children if you pray about it. But you've got to put God first. You can't ignore God. Here's the problem, folks. We, we act like sometimes that, that serving God is coming to church on Sunday and doing our Sunday thing and going out the doors and, and that's another world. No, it's not. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's 24-7, 365 days a year. Amen. It's not just in here. It's out there. It's at school. It's at work. It's in the neighborhood. It's everywhere. God will help you with that if you'll allow him to. Second thing, put God first in your finances. You say, uh-oh, preacher, you're going to talk about money? Yes, I am. Jesus talked about it. The Bible talks about it a lot. And God cares about it because he cares about you. He cares about your money. He certainly does. And we need to put God first in this area. In fact, one of the ways God tests us to see if we really trust him is in the area of our finances. Did you know that? When God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden... He gave them a commandment. He said, there's a tree over there, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that. That's off limits. That's mine. You leave that alone. And as long as they were obedient to God, they were fine. But when they decided to violate that, they ran into problems. You say, well, we don't have anything. Yes, we do. It's called ties. Did you know that? God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you health and strength and life, and I'm going to let you work. I'm going to let you make a living. But the first 10% is mine. rest of it's yours. First 10% is mine. Don't touch that, and I'll bless you. 
Is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. You, you go, this goes all the way back to Genesis. I know that some people say, don't preach on tithes because that's the law and we're not under the law. Well, let me tell you something. I love the law of first mention. If you want to know what God has to say about a subject, find where it's first mentioned in the Bible and start from there. Tithe is first mentioned in the book of Genesis chapter 14 by, by, by name. It's also implied way on back there. You can see that tithe was part of what Cain and Abel was dealing with as well. But it's, it's mentioned the term itself in Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by Mo God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth. That's the tithe, the tenth of everything. Abram had just bought, fought a battle uh, with, with uh, several kings and God had given him the victory. Uh, in fact, these kings had come and stolen um, Abram's nephew and his, whole, and his family and, and Abram went, went after them and, and uh, took care of business. God blessed him and he won the victory and had a great spoil from that victory. And the first thing he did was pay tithes. Now I want to mention this. Those of you that think tithe is just under the law, this was 450 years before the law. So tithe was before the law. Moses, I mean, uh, Abram was living by grace, exercising faith in God. And he, he tithed. Look at Leviticus 27, 30 to 32. A tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain from the soil or from fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. Who, who does the tithe belong to? The Lord's. It's the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value of it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that, possesses, that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Now let me take you to probably the most well-worn scripture on tithes is in the book of Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 to 12. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? This is God speaking now. In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields. They will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God said, put me to the test. If you don't believe it, try me. And I would challenge, and I put this challenge out many times through the years, and I've never had anybody come back a year later and tell me that it didn't work. I challenge you to begin this year, 2020, and test God in this. Keep your records on how you're doing financially and see if you don't get along better with 90%
when you give God the first 10% that's his anyway. I, I don't, I don't, some people feel like they're giving their tithes, they're paying their tithes. No, you give offerings. You, you bring back to, you give back to God the tithe. That's already his. You're not paying anything. You're not giving anything. You're, you're, you're returning to God what is his. God's, God could have asked for all of it. He gives you the air you breathe. He gives you the food you eat. He gives you the water you drink. He gives you the health that you have. He's blessed you to have a job and all these things. God could have asked for more. No, God said, no, no, no. You, you, I want you to be blessed. But remember this, the first, the tithe is always the first. The first 10% belongs to God. Here's the reason most people have a problem tithing. When they get their paycheck, they sit down and they pay all of their bills and then they look to see what they got left. And then they decide whether or not they can afford to tithe. And they, if they can, they will. And if it doesn't come out right, they don't. You'll always struggle if you do that. And, and listen, I, I understand where, you, where you're coming from. I, I know. I've lived this all my life. <laughs> when... When Faye and I got married, I was, I was making $50 a week. I'm telling you, boy, I was an associate pastor. I was living high on the hog. 50 bucks a week. When we got married, they figured it'd be tough for Faye to live on $50 a week and me too, so they raised me to 75 a week. I was making $75 a week. And... Uh, <clears throat> And then later on, after we'd been married about a year or so, we, uh, we started evangelizing again. We'd been working for Brother Langdon for five years, and we decided to go back on the evangelistic field. And, uh, we, and, and after we'd been married about three years, along came Brian. And we didn't have any insurance. We couldn't afford insurance. And uh, we were just out there, whatever the offerings were, and we... We literally figured out the last year, the year Brian was born, and there was no way if it had not been for the supernatural provision of, of God that we could have made it financially. The numbers just didn't, they just didn't pan out. But God provided for us. They told us at the hospital that if, we, if I didn't have the money, since I didn't have insurance, if I didn't have the money up front, that they wouldn't take us when I brought her in. I didn't know that they had to take you if you went to the emergency room. I just thought they meant what they said. And so we just prayed, and somehow God provided it. We had the money to do it. And, and God just always been so good. And so a few years later, in fact, several years later, my kids were now on up um, probably five or six years old. I don't remember exactly how old they were at the time. But I, I ran into a kind of a really tight place financially. And uh, I, I, I just wasn't, I, I was hardly making it. And I did something absolutely ridiculous. Um, made out my tithe check and uh, put it in the envelope, got it ready to take to church, put it in my pocket to take it to church on Sunday morning. And I got to thinking, you know, if I put that, tithe check in the offering this morning 
we don't have enough to pay the rest of the bills this week. And um, something's going to bounce. So I, I, I decided I'd just hold on to that check. And, and when things got a little better, I'd, I'd put it in later. And two or three weeks later, I had another one of those weeks. I did the same thing. Made out the check, put it in the envelope, stuck it in my pocket. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't but a few months till I had a pretty good little stack of these envelopes that I had not yet turned in. And it, it seemed to just go from bad to worse to harder. And I was so determined, I said, I'm, I'm going to catch this up. Lord, if you just help me, I'll catch this up. But it, it just kept getting worse and worse. And finally, I was praying to God. I said, God, what, what am I going to do financially? I'm in a mess. I need your help here. I need you to bless me financially. God said, you expect me to bless a thief? And boy, that got my attention. I got under conviction. By the way, God calls a non-tither a thief and he calls a tither blessed. Which one you want to be? I, I, I repented because I got under conviction. I repented. I got all those envelopes out. And I called a little family conference. I don't know if my boys even remembered it. They were so small. But I took my boys into the dining room, set them down at the table. Faye came in and sat down. And I said to my wife and my kids, I have been disobedient to God. And I've been holding back from God what belongs to him. I got it right here. I pulled out that little stack of envelopes. And I said, I figured it up. I'm two or three hundred dollars behind here in tithes that, has, that I, owe, I owe the Lord. And I've asked God to forgive me. And I've prayed and God has forgiven me. But I'm asking you to forgive me now because I've failed you as my family and you're suffering because of my disobedience. I want you to forgive me to my wife. Forgive me as your husband to my children. Forgive me as your daddy. Of course, they all hugged me and forgave me. And we cried and we prayed. And I said, I want you to understand, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to really I'm going to have to say no to a lot of things until we can kind of catch, because I'm putting all this in. And it, it, it'll take a while before we get out of this. And I just, I just want to prepare you for it. It's my fault. I take the blame for it. But the Lord will help us, and we'll catch up. And um, I remember that verse in Leviticus. If you're going to redeem your tithe, put the fifth part to it. So I went back to each one of those envelopes, and I added a fifth part to redeem my ties, and I brought them to church on Sunday, put them into the Lord. And we, we felt so good because we felt like we, we, you know, had given God what was his. The next week, we were visiting a friend, and uh, we were just getting ready to leave. And the friend said uh, to, to me and my wife, said, Rich and Faye, said, you know, God has just blessed us this past week in a supernatural way. And, and we've, 
we just got a blessing we weren't expecting. And so we paid our tithes off of it, but we just feel like we just want to give an offering to, uh, to somebody. And we prayed about it and said, you may not need anything in the world, but God put you on our heart. And he gave me $700 that week after I'd gotten things straightened out with God. Listen, folks. Listen, folks. It, it pays to obey God. It pays to obey. Tithing is a test of our trust in God. You, you may be trusting him in your relationships, but it may be that you're not trusting him in your finances. So learn to trust God in your finances. He's trustworthy. He can, he can take care of it. He can take care. I'll promise you, and I've had people try this through the years. I've never had one come back with a bad story yet. I've had great testimonies from it. But he said, put me to the test. God lets us challenge him. And he said, try it. I challenge you in 2020, put God first. That means before you sit down and see if you got enough money left at the end. That's not, that's the leftover. The tithe is first. That's when you come to God first and say, Lord, I just got my check, my, my, my check, and the first thing I'm going to pay, whether you pay it electronically or however you pay it or write out a check, there's still a few people that still use the old check method. I do for some things, and Faye does all this online stuff, and I don't even know what I got anymore. I told her the other day, I said, if you die on me, I'm in trouble. I don't have a clue. She said, well, I've written it all out. I said, yeah, but I don't understand it. So I still can't figure it out. You got so many passwords and passcodes, and you have to keep changing them. And, and, uh, but this is the age that we live in. But the very first part is if you're going to trust God, you put God first. You say, Lord, this is yours. I'm not touching that. This is yours. This 90% over here now, I'm expecting you because of what you promised in your word. I'm just going to cash in on the promise of your word now. I'm expecting you now to open the windows of heaven and help me here. And pour. I need some favor. I need some blessing. I need some help. I need some wisdom. I need some direction. Put God first. Jesus said if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. Praise God. David said, I once was young, I'm now old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Amen. God will take care of you if you put him first. Put him first. Let me read some scripture to you. Exodus, I'll read these. My third point is put God first in your time. You ready for this? Some of you do it in your finances, but you don't do it in your time. Exodus 29 and 10 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Exodus 23 and 12 says, Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt do what? Rest. Say that word with me. Rest. Amen. Exodus 31 and 15, work shall be done and for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. In the afternoon or late evening of the sixth day, God made man in his own image. Man's first day 
was God's day of rest. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God worked six days, made man. Man came into being, and his first day was a day of rest. You can trust God. He wants you to have some rest. I talked to you several weeks ago about the cycles of life and the rhythms of life that God, our bodies respond to that. It's, it's, it's the way. Everything works better. Do you know they even proved several years ago that factory machinery, think about this now. I'm talking about inanimate objects. They found out that machinery in a factory works longer and produces more if they shut it down one day a week and just let it rest and oil it and take good care of it. It lasts longer and works better. It works in everything. God developed life for this, like this. So you need to have one day. You work your six days. You say, preacher, I just can't do it. I, I just can't do it. I got, it takes seven days for me to work. That means you're not trusting God. You can trust God with your time just like you can trust God with your money. He will take care of you. I promise you, God will take care of you. I gave you the, <laughs> I saw it on the news. Uh, they did a survey to see what fast food restaurants make. The average fast food re restaurant, I'm talking about McDonald's, Burger King, and Hardee's and all of those, the average fast food restaurant make, takes in a million dollars a year. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. By the way, if I ever get hungry for a Chick-fil-A, it's usually on Sunday. <laughs> Chick-fil-A shuts down on Sunday, and they will, they're quick to tell you the reason they do is because they honor God. One day a week. They work six. They rest one. The average Chick-fil-A takes in $5 million a year. They work one day less and take in five times more. Folks, I don't understand it except to say that God honors his word. Amen. When we honor God, he honors his word. Praise the Lord. My time's gone, so I'm going to ask you to stand. I am, while you're standing, I'm going to read you another scripture. Hebrews, you say, preacher, all that's in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 and 11 says, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. Praise God. We ought to make an effort to get to that point where we can rest like the Lord intended for us to do. In conclusion, I want to ask you three questions. Number one, do you trust God in your relationships? Number two, do you trust God in your finances? And number three, do you trust God with your time? God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Now, I'm not in any way trying to put this on you. This is not a, this is not a rule or regulation or anything else. It's just a it's just something God dealt with me many years ago about. God spoke to me one morning in my early prayer time, and he said, if you give me the first 10% of your day, I'll take care of the rest. And I can tell you, nearly some 40 years after God spoke that to me, he's never failed. He's taken care of every day. 
Now, I know you may not be able, because of your work schedule and your family situation and everything, to get up and just devote nearly two, two and a half hours before you do anything else. But you can still put God first in that first part of your day. You can start your day with it and keep him in mind, pray in the spirit when you get a chance. Just keep a prayer coming up from your heart, worship the Lord, and just honor him as you begin the day. And when you put God first, God always takes care of you. You see, <clears throat> there, there are many names of God, and I've given you several of them in our, the prayer thing that I handed out. Jehovah Sid Kenu and Jehovah Makedesh and Jehovah Shalom and Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rohi, all of those. But there's one that we don't very often mention, and that's that Jehovah is also a jealous God. And that's not a bad kind of jealousy. That simply means that God loves you so much that he wants you to love him first in response. That's not asking too much. He's God. He made us. Jesus gave his life for us. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus gave his life for us. Everything God does is for our benefit. He just says, I want to be first. I don't want to be the leftovers. God don't want to be the hors d'oeuvres. He wants to be the main course. God don't want to be a visitor. He wants to be a resident. Amen? Put him first. And you'll see a mighty, mighty difference in your life. Your 2020. Listen, I'm trying to get you ready, folks, for what God's fixing to do in this earth. We're fixing to enter into the harvest field in a way that we never have before. We, 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 need, to, we need to get ready for it. Amen. And we need to be seeking first the kingdom of God. Glory to God. It's time to get your family saved before Jesus comes. It's time to get our friends and our neighbors. It's time to rise and take this city for God. Bow your heads with me, if you will, please, for just a moment. Let me ask you, is anybody in this building this morning under the sound of my voice, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm ready to meet God. I'm not, I haven't given my heart to the Lord. If Jesus were to come or call for me today, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that I'm ready. Would you just slip your hand up and hold it for just a moment and then put it back down? Anybody looking around? Thank you. Thank you. I want the prayer team to begin to move this way, please. Let me ask you this. How many of you are standing here and you say, Pastor, there was a time that my relationship with God was really good, but I've, I've kind of let things get cold and indifferent. I want you to remember me in this prayer. Will you just raise your hand and hold it up for a minute? My relationship with the Lord was once better than it is right now, and I want to be remembered in prayer. Yes, thank you. Thank you, several of you. One more question. How many of you standing here this morning said, Pastor, I am in a situation right now where I really need help from God. 
It could be in a relationship. It could be with your finances. It could be with your job, whatever. Hold it up for just a moment so I can see it all over the building. Preacher, right now, I'm in a situation where I need God. Thank you. You can put them down. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can look at me now. Pastor Steve's going to begin to sing. The Holy Spirit's here today. You've experienced him in our worship this morning in a powerful way. And I believe that in the next few minutes, a change can happen in your life. You'll never regret. Some are already starting to move this way. If you raise your hand for whatever it may be, if you're unsaved, come on. If you've wandered away from the Lord, come on. If you have a serious need, it's, it's time. You need God. Come on, the altar's open. We're going to pray with you and for you if you want somebody to do that or if you just want to find a place and pray by yourself. It, it's up to you, but the altar's open. The altar's open. Come.